0: Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things so that you to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has a greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you my friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. You may have a seat.
1: <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the things that I enjoy about uh, traveling and going to different places Um, is that um, when I'm away from home, it really makes me appreciate what I have. Do you know what I mean? Uh, You know, sometimes when you go away from something and you're distanced from it, you kind of develop this unique way of thinking about it and recognizing how blessed you are. And, and, And I have to be honest, I mean... I feel really blessed to be here. Uh, You know Ruthann and I walked on the beach this week. We just couldn't do that in Calgary for a couple of reasons. It's cold and there is no beach. And we just enjoyed the beauty and we went down to Balboa Park yesterday afternoon. We had some time and just walked around and learned a lot about the city and enjoyed it. But as I am here, and I know that when I go home, there's this renewed sense of appreciation for what I have there. And as we were worshiping, this is not part of my message, I like to give things away free. This is just free of charge. But as I was worshiping with you and the wonderful gifts uh, of worship leaders and musicians, I, I just think... I just think the drummer was so cool today, by the way, whoever she is. And, and you're in this environment. You have all these people who serve you like this every week. I think perhaps it's easy to not appreciate the grace that is given you. And it is easy perhaps to not recognize how blessed you are. Uh, One of my profs, I actually learned from my profs, (laughs) one of my professors said to us once that the mark of a maturing Christian is that they grow in their capacity to give thanks. And so I pray that you would recognize the gifts that are given to you. This morning I want to speak to you about this particular passage. And when I think about examples of love, I think about mums. Anybody else? I think about my mum. Here's my mum in in a nutshell. Stu was the most awesome person, kid, ever. I remember from a young age when I brought home little pictures and drawings, you know those pictures when we became parents, every day they come home with pictures and you live with this guilt because you can't possibly keep them all. There'd be no space in my house. But I'd come home and my mom would make the biggest deal about the littlest thing that I've done. she thought and spoke of me like there was no one else like Stu. One of the things she used to say to me is when, 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 you know, she wanted some tea, she would say, she would say, Stu, no one makes a cup of tea like you do. <laughs> when my mom died, and some of you know my story, my mom and dad and my younger brother and sister were killed by a drunk driver uh, many years ago now. I was in my early twenties when this accident would take them all in one day. I have one older brother. Uh, that lives back home in South Africa who is um, very close to me and dear to me. But when my mom died, one of the things I missed most was the unconditional way in which she loved me. You know, there was a time, I think I hit 16 or 17, and and, and I was just, you know, everybody else was dumb. (laughs) Maybe it didn't happen to you, Uh, I was smarter than everybody else and no one understood what I was dealing with and I pushed away from my parents and I really made life hard for them. I'm not going to paint this picture of rebel stew, but I wasn't a pleasant teenager. And I remember coming home knowing that I'm not living the life I'm supposed to live and every time I came home, mom would throw her arms around me and she'd love me and hug me like only a South African mom could. It's the kind of hug that when you're a teenager, you don't want to concede that you actually want it. So I squirmed and pretended that I didn't want to be loved that way. Another mom that has loved me in incredibly powerful ways is my mother-in-law. Now her name was Mavis, but I've never called her Mavis. I always called her mom. I want you to hear this very quickly. My mother-in-law just passed away last month and I'm gonna to try to keep it together here. When I left South Africa, I left South Africa shortly after our country went through a transition from an apartheid government, a system of racial segregation, a culture that defined us by color, and that did quite a number on my own sense of self. For most of my life, I thought of myself in terms of my skin color. And I know now today, especially where I live, that many people are paying a lot of money to get a tan like this when God just naturally endowed me with this beauty. (laughs) But for many years, my significance and value was undermined by a cultural narrative that told me, because I am like this, I am less. When I met Ruthann, and I'm not gonna exaggerate this, but she fell in love with me instantly. <laughs> she took one look at me and thought, this is the most amazing black Adonis she has ever seen in her life. <laughs> we, uh, we, we decided shortly after, and it, it will all get biblical and spiritual in just a moment, don't worry. Um, we decided, I just caught you in January of 1998, We decided in March to drive across Canada to Prince Edward Island. We drove from Calgary all the way to PEI. That's a distance of 4,665 kilometers in miles. That's a distance one way of 2,898 miles in a 1978 Chevy Caprice that had multiple different colors on it because it was put together from several cars. We got stopped six times by the police, and I found out what a joy it is to be thrown in the back of a police cruiser. But that's a story for another occasion. When we arrived in PEI, the snow was so high, we had to literally climb over snowbanks to make it into the farmhouse. And in the moment I walked into the farmhouse, just stay with me for a second, this thought occurred to me, I am beautifully tanned, and this family is not. All my life, I was told and I believed, which is more damaging than anything else, is what you believe, isn't it? I believed that somehow I was less and I started to have this thought that what happens when Ruthann's mom and dad come down those stairs, what are they gonna say and think of me? Let me tell you what happened. (laughs) My mother-in-law, she came down And she said, oh, you are the fella. That's my best PI accent that she's been talking about and threw her arms around me and welcomed me. My father-in-law came down. Of course, he wasn't my father-in-law then. He looked at me and he said, you must be cold. You must be hungry. And he then started to proceed to prepare a meal. And when I left, he gave me a pair of socks that are so thick, it stands on its own. When Ruthann and I eventually got married, they loved me and she loved me so unconditionally. You know what's powerful about my mother-in-law's story is that she didn't grow up knowing such love. But to her, my color and my race and my background did not matter. To her, my value was not defined by everything that I had thought before and she loved me in such unconditional ways. In fact, Ruthann would joke, but I think it's true. I think she loved me a little bit more than her own children. <laughs> not true, but I felt that way. The reason I tell you about mums and love is because who loves us matters. It matters because the way in which we are loved is the way that most of us would tend to love. Love is something that we learn in the home. So if our home life was one of conditional love, I love you only if you do what I say, I love you only, or if it's in limited ways, the tendency we may have in the love relationships we have with other people, the love relationships we ought to have with everyone that God's put on this earth would be influenced by the examples of love because how we love is the way that we will love others most of the time. It is fascinating to me in John's gospel that Jesus would make this point that God loves you as he loves Jesus. In other words... You are loved by God in such a way that it goes beyond perhaps our ability to understand because it is the kind of love that is expressed to us truly without any condition. It is not based on your performance. It's not based on your culture. It's not based on your intellect. It's not based on your own sense of righteousness. This is love according to John's gospel that is given to us for God so loved this world that he he acted first. In First John we read this that true love, the real love that comes from God is not love that we have generated or created but he first loved us. We are loved by God deeply. In John's gospel there's several references to the beloved disciple. If you've ever studied the gospel of John you would have heard of this beloved disciple. I was thinking about this and I thought it occurred to me as I was preparing this message, that the beloved disciple in John's gospel is absolutely every one of us. Do you know you are loved? Do you know that God's love is an incredible hard thing to grasp for many people who have only experienced love that has been conditional? You know why it's important we grasp this kind of love? Because if we do not wrestle with how God loves us through Christ, we tend to love people in ways that do not reflect that we actually know who he is. This love is so demanding (laughs) so deep and I just realized there's no timer counting me down. I have no idea how much time I have. So pastor, please give me the signal when I'm done. So deep, so profound that it ought to transform how we love even those who do not like us. Let me put it you a different way. Jesus says it this way, what good is it that you like people who like you? What good is it that you like people who do what you do? How good is it that you, you you know what good is it that you only like certain people groups and not other people groups? But I tell you, I tell you that the kind of love with which I love you is a love that goes beyond your comfort level. It's a love that goes beyond your preferences. It's a love that goes beyond your own biography. It's a love that changes you if you let God love you. he increases the dimensions of love in your life in such a way that you are able to even forgive those who hurt you. Such love is powerful, such love is transforming, and such love is desperately needed in the church today. But here's what I know. I know that it's hard to believe it and it's hard to receive it. I think of Peter and I often joke that Peter's mouth was shaped like a boot because he put his foot down his throat many times. But I love Peter because Peter is more like me than I dare to believe. Do you remember? I referenced this on Monday when 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 Jesus was about to show them the full extent of His love. Do you remember this in John 13? He put on the, the 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 outfit of a of a of a servant and he bent down on his knees and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. And in his attempt to wash the feet of Peter, Peter rejected him. You see, Peter wouldn't allow Jesus... To love him in a particular way. And you probably heard good messages on this. I don't have time to preach on John 13. But I want to say this. You know it is important that you pay attention to this. That Jesus loves Peter by being for Peter what Peter doesn't want him to be. And there's probably many reasons we can explore exegetically and personally as to why that is. But here's what I want to say to you. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to allowing God to love me as I am is that I do not truly trust that I am good enough to be loved like that. And I wonder this morning if there's some of you as strong, as healthy, as academic, as athletic, as social, as popular, as quiet, as introverted, as you are that is sitting here that is saying, I just struggle with this because I don't believe that I'm worth to be loved that much. I wanna say this to you. I was a pastor, youth pastor for many years. One of the biggest desires of my heart was to have young ladies in particular, young men too, believe that they had value and they had worth. And I've seen what happens when they don't know they are loved. And you know, as a youth pastor, you, the, the only tool I have in my arsenal is my preaching. So, but, but I found out that preaching is almost like talking to my kids sometimes. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Leaves and does exactly opposite of what I just said. <laughs> And I wondered, I wondered when I was doing youth ministry, how do we get this whole idea of God's love that is so big, so great? His grace is so immense. He is so patient with us. It's the real you that He loves, not the one you think you need to become. That is the starting point of this Christian life. How does this happen? I think the only way it happens is if God's Spirit somehow makes us aware deep within our own spirits that God so loves us. So this morning, in all the preaching that I can do on this, This has been my prayer for you, that the Holy Spirit would testify with your spirit that you belong to him, the one who loves you more than you dare to believe. That such love would grab a hold of this community so that you would love others in such recognizable ways that the world would know that you belong to Jesus. At the end of the Gospel of John... In chapter 1, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Remember this? (laughs) Of course I do, Jesus. And Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus asked Peter whether in fact he loves Jesus and Jesus says to him, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asked Peter the same question. And Peter, his feelings are hurt. He feels a sense of, hmm, (laughs) why is he asking me so much? And then Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. I love thinking about Peter because the love that is shown to him as Jesus loved him and the disciples would eventually become evident in how Peter would serve Jesus by loving others and by caring for others. You know... um, By this, I think the scripture goes, so all men know that you are my disciples. If I could reframe that, uh, the person who learns to abide in the love of God becomes a lover of people. does not amaze you that how we can see Christians shout the love of God with anger in them. Does it not amaze you how that we can do even say the truth, but somehow we just know, you know, it's kind of like preaching when I was growing up and I'm not going to reference any preachers, but you know, I I heard preachers preach about the love of God, but I sat there in the pew sometimes like you and I wondered, I, I wonder, yeah, God loves me, but I wonder if he loves me. You see, the way to live this faith is is to recognise that the love of God is needed first in me and it's needed in you in order that we may love others as He has loved us. Now let me go on. How do you know you're living in the love of God? There's a few things I want to say as I close, and all God's people says thank you. No, okay, that's good. I take that as an endorsement to keep going. Jesus mentions twice the certainty that comes from an abiding relationship with him in our prayer life. If you remain in me, verse 7, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, when we read that, some of us may think, oh, that's the key to getting what I want. You know, I can start praying for a six-pack right now, but, you know... (laughs) I'm past that age. I can be praying that somehow I don't have to study for that calculus exam and I'll just breeze on through the grace of God. I can start praying for whatever I want in life and somehow that's what Jesus is saying, whatever you ask for in my name I will give you. But that's not what he's saying. Here's what happens, when you start to abide in the love of God it changes what you pray for. Because when God's love starts to become the way in which you see yourselves and see others, what you value changes. What you ask for changes. You begin to pray in such a way in accordance with the will of God for this world and you'll find yourself praying the kinds of prayers that are answered because these are the will, this is the will of God for the world. You begin to love as he loved. You begin to desire to see what God wants to see in our world and your prayers become transformed. I wish someone talked to me a little bit about prayer when I was younger because I always thought that prayer was getting God on my agenda. Hey God, I really like that girl, make her like me. God she doesn't, you must not love me. But I wonder if prayer is better understood as getting myself on his agenda. Getting myself to live in his ways so that even when things are hard and things will get hard for the disciples, in fact, in chapter 16, it says this, they'll throw you out of the synagogue and they would put a prize on your head and they would think that they're honoring God when they kill you. (laughs) They were gonna need God's help. Could it be that one of the evidences that we are living in the love of God is that we begin to pray the kinds of prayers that brings about the kind of things that God wants to see in our world. I think not only do we know we're abiding in God when we begin to pray differently and see those results happening in and through our life, but there's an assurance, a security that comes to those that lives in the love of God. I alluded to this again on Monday, and if you haven't figured it out, I only have one message. When God's love apprehends us, We don't seek for approval from others. We don't um, live with huge amounts of angst and jealousy. You know, when we read the text, it says, you know, abide in me as I abide in you. This is what we think. We're saying Jesus will only do this if we will. Here's what Jesus is saying. I am making myself available. Please just come on. Just come on. I'm coming after you, I want you to know my love. I want you to experience my love. I want you to know the security of knowing you're good to go. If you're sitting here this morning and you feel like, you know what, Stu, I don't know if I'm okay with God. Let me just say this, God's grace for you is greater than your biggest disappointment and failure to him. Here in this very moment, he stands before you with arms wide open saying, welcome home, my daughter. Welcome home, my son. Know who you are in him, people who are confident in their identity are people that are able to go into places where people are different to them and not feel threatened. People who are assured of who they are in Christ is able to give and serve without expecting in return because they don 't have to receive the pat on the back from human or any other uh, kinds of individuals. Those who are secure in Christ are the ones who can serve in profound and powerful ways for they know that in Christ they have all. that they need I want you to hear me say this even just a few years ago I would be the most anxious ridden person standing before you because I would so desperately like you to say good job Stu you're awesome you're smart I would like your profs to say this of me The way he handled that text exegetically was profound. (laughs) But I stand here and I'm an autobiographical preacher not because my story is the story of hope but because my story found a greater purpose in the great story of God. I stand before you and I'm willing to be Uh, vulnerable and open with you because there is so much more to me than my weakness there's so much more to me than my failure there's so much more to me than my apartheid past there's so much more to me than what I suffered when I lost all people people on one day because in Christ in Christ I have found out who I am and here's what God says listen up listen up here's what God says I like you a lot Stu I am so fond of you. <laughs> you know, if I could give you a mental picture of, of what God wants to do, he wants to take your, your face in his hands and he wants to look you in the eye and he wants to just speak these words over, to you, over you today, you are loved more than you dare to believe. His posture towards you this morning is that of grace, but let me go on so that I may finish. Have you ever noted how that Christianity is less and less defined by joy? You know, joy is not happiness, of course, and we can go into all kinds of conversations about that, but Jesus would imply that those who abide in his love will share in his joy. The scriptures are filled with references to joy as being one of the evidences that God lives in us as his people. And I want to say this to you, and I'll speak about it tonight. Here's a teaser for this evening so you would come out. I'm going to speak about pain and suffering and yet the access that we have to the grace of God that allows us to live as those who know there is always hope. For joy to be a part of our very being. I want to read you a quote, Alexander Schmemann says this, I think God will forgive everything except the lack of joy. When we forget that God created the world and saved it, joy, listen to this, is not one of the components of Christianity. It is the tonality of Christianity that penetrates everything. For those perhaps who are more musically inclined, when I read what Schmemann says, it's the tonality of Christianity. This is how I interpret it. It's the song of our souls for those who are abiding in Christ knows that not even death has the final say. That we know how the story ends and it ends is good, therefore our hope is secure and no matter what we face, we can delight in knowing that he who loves us is pleased with us and he lives in us. I sometimes wonder if our invitations for people to come and become Christians looks like this. Come and find peace in Jesus find joy, see how happy I am, you need him. When perhaps one of the marks of being loved is laughter, is friendship. (laughs) I love being with people who are happy, don't you? I have an opinion on this and with this I close. Christians ought to be the most joyous people in this world because they have hope. As I close my time with you this morning, I want to invite those of you for whom this message has been personally applicable uh, to take some time in prayer and reflection, the opportunity to pray and to be prayed for to be loved by those who care for you to have someone come and kneel beside you is here i also understand that there are many here for whom perhaps this time is now done and you've got to go about doing what you need to do but could i put it to you this way if god has spoken his love over you why don't you come and just sit in it And if you need to leave, that's fine. You're not less spiritual. No one's gonna say, oh, there goes the sinners. (laughs) (laughs) Take their name down, start praying for them. (laughs) But you know you're you're good. You're walking out here and you know you're good. You're fine, that's fine. But perhaps for the sake of those who want to just spend some time and just have someone pray with them, maybe this is something that's really critical for you, really important for you. We invite you to stay. Either remain in your seats. If you want someone to pray with you, I would encourage you to come forward here. So let me pray now and invite you to respond to the grace of God. Father, thank you for your deep love for us. Thank you for the way in which your scripture makes it clear that your love is not only true and real, but your love is powerful to heal wounds, to repair lives, to grade within us the capacity to love as you've loved us. May your spirit, your spirit overcome the doubt within us today that says, I'm not worthy. May your spirit overcome the hurt and the pain that keeps us from believing we are lovable. May your spirit return joy to our lives if we have been in a season in which joy has been absent. May you grant us a depth of grace to love without reserve, Without holding back, to love across borders and to love across people groups and to love those who don't even love us, may you enhance our ability to reveal that we belong to you as we learn to even reconcile with one another in this community of faith. For by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.